Thank you, Brent, for leading those songs, giving us a picture of what true peace is all about. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we come this morning. Lord, thank you for the privilege to worship. Thank you for the opportunity to gather like this as a brotherhood. And Lord, I pray that as we as we worship you, that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, as we uh, read in your word, may we be encouraged and may we find hope and true peace that only you can give us. Lord, I pray for the service up in Elkhart. Be with the one who preaches there. I pray a blessing on them. And I pray that you would have your way and will in the congregation there. May they be strengthened and drawn to you also. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I have a piece of paper here that probably to many of you doesn't mean a whole lot. But this is a license for me to do my job as a lawn care operator. What this license allows me to do, it says pesticide applicator license. And so this allows me to uh, spray your, your yard for, for different bugs and different diseases and different weeds. This license in itself is a pretty inexpensive license. I pay, I think, $40 a year to get this license. And so you think, well, what's the big deal? Anybody can go get this license and, and have a pesticide applicator's license. The thing is, it takes a little bit to get your first one. And so I'm going to explain the process a little bit. What happens to get your initial license is you need to go to a class. And you sit in this class and they instruct you on general practices of using pesticides. And that is called a core exam. And anybody who's getting a pesticide license, whether you're a farmer or an applicator like me or an aerial, the people that fly the planes and spray, they need to pass that core exam. And it's just basic things like how to look at a label on a pesticide container and how to understand it. And then there are some basic instructions given of, of how to take that label and when it says how much to use, how to take that and apply it properly. And so that's a general license and then depending on what your specific category is of application, you have to take further training. And for me it was lawn care. And so my training is different than John's training in ag. And so I sat in another class after I got that first certification, I sat in another class specific to lawn care. And so now we start looking at diseases in lawns and bugs that you may have in lawns. And they, they teach you how to take bugs and look at the hairs on them and figure out if they're in a certain pattern, what kind of beetle it is. And so it's all kinds of, kind of things that you don't normally think about. And it's, it's, that test is a little bit difficult. They don't just allow you to wing it. And I flunked the first time. And so I had to retake the test. And so it, it took some doing. And you can't just, it's not an online test. You have to go somewhere to take the test. And I think I had to go to Fort Wayne. And so it, it takes a little bit to get it. Once you pass that test, they now say that you are certified. And so now I can apply for a license but there's something I need before I can apply for a license. I need experience 
Well, how do you get experience? Well, if I passed that first certification of the core exam and would have worked for another, under a, another person that has a license, they count that as experience. And so I would have to prove that I worked for another lawn care company under this person who has his license, and that would allow me to apply for a license. Or I could go take a class, a hands-on class, where they teach you how to spray and they, you actually do a hands-on training and that would enable me to apply for a license. But before I can apply for the license yet, I need to say that I'm working for a company that holds a pesticide license. And the only way that company can get a pesticide license is they have to be insured. They have to prove that they have the proper insurance. And so there are some steps to getting all this. What I'm saying is you don't want to let your license expire, right? Because it's a hassle. It go, the license is then good for five years. So at the end of five years, you can either let your license expire and you start the process all over. You have to do all the training. Or they have made a way that you can renew your license without going through that. And that's what they call accumulating CCHs or um, continuing credit hours is what CCHs stands for. Continuing credit hours requires you to sit in a class and you get so many points for each class. I need to accumulate 20 points in a five-year period before my license expires and I can get about four points for a one-day class. And so for me, I go to a class about once a year. And, and in that class, they teach you about all the new chemicals and they teach you about the new laws. And, and so as, as things change, uh, you learn, you continue to learn new things. I find it easier just to sit in a class and, um, and continue learning. Last fall, I, last winter, I sat in a class and I learned some new things that I'm putting in practice this year in my business. And so it's a, it's a way to, to stay ahead of, of what's going on and the latest things that we're seeing in our industry. This morning is a youth message. And so I'm speaking to you specifically as youth. And I'm going to ask different questions. And youth, are, you're scattered throughout the audience this morning. And so wherever you are, I'm speaking to you. And if I ask questions, I would like for you to respond, even if you're not in the front rows. CCHs, continuing credit hours. I want you to think about that. A continual learning. You know, I wish that after having sat through those classes that I would have just been downloaded with all the information and I could have just retained it all and I would know how to apply it. But even to this day sometimes, when I, when I face something that I'm not quite sure what it is, I get out my old manual from, from years ago, 20 years now, that I've been doing this, and I look back and I, and I look at the pictures and what they say that you should do. Should you put more fertilizer on it or less fertilizer? Or, and, I, and, I, and I learn from that. I, I wish I could just retain it, but it's hard to remember everything. And so it's, it's good for me to continue learning, to take small steps to every year 
uh, learn a little bit more. And hopefully, after 20 years, I'm starting to, my, my knowledge is broadened and I, and I know how to do my job uh, properly. Continuing credit hours. Is there anything in our Christian life that is a little bit like that? Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, this is a, this is Paul writing a letter, a letter to the church, to the Colossi church. And he's responding to a report that he heard about this church. Either somebody had came and told him about this church, or maybe somebody wrote a letter telling him about these new believers and how they were new in the faith. And so Paul is writing a letter back to the church, and he's confirming what he sees in their life, what has been told to him that, that is happening in their life. And he confirms that. He confirms what's happened, and he gives them instruction, and he and he points out the things that they can expect to experience in this new walk of life as young believers in Christ. And he talks about what the experience that happens when we, when we commit ourselves to Christ. What it takes. What's the basis of the salvation that, that this, this group has experienced. And so keep that in mind as we read Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. The first two verses are a greeting that Paul gives them. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for you youth, it could be, this could be a letter to us, right? He's writing to believers, those who have committed themselves to follow Christ. Let's continue reading in verse 3 to 6. He begins to give them a, a, um, specifically two things that he says, if you're following Christ, these two things are going to be evident. And so I'm going to read these three verses, verses 3 through 6. And I'd like for you youth to see if you can pick out the two things that he says is proof that Christ is living in you. Verse three, verse 3, it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the world of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. Since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Youth, can you pick out the two things? What are the two things that he's saying here is going to be evident? Fruit. Okay, that's the second one, right? Which verse is that, Randon? Uh, verse 6, right? 
He says, you're going to bring forth fruit. What's the other one? Okay, verse 3, right? The love which ye have to all saints. And so this is Paul saying that this is going to be evident, right? The fruit of your life and the love for the saints. And this is, this is scattered throughout all the New Testament. It, it refers, constantly refers to this. And two of the verses that I thought of is in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye love one another, right? And then the other one is in Galatians uh, chapter 5, where it gives us that whole list of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And so Paul's saying, when you have, if, if you have Christ in your life, these are going to, going to be the evidences of that. This is what's going to come out. Let's go on to verse 7. It says, as he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, Sorry, Epaphras, I should say, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And so Epaphras is the uh, fellow servant. He's the minister there. He's the one that had been teaching them and instructing them and shepherding them. Let's go on to verse 9. Now, in verse 9 through 11, there are four things here that I see are those continuing credit hours. It's those, those things that that Paul says you're going to grow, that, 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 are, that you don't just, aren't just downloaded on you when you become a Christian, but that you begin to experience and that, that you continue to grow. So find four things as I read in here that he's saying that, they, that should be a part of their Christian life. Verse 9, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray, for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. So what are the four things that he says they should grow into and that should be part of this Christian experience? If you find one, even if you're not sure it's the first one, give it out. Walk in faith. Walk worthy of the Lord, right? Okay, youth, what's another one? What was it? Increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. So learning, right? Studying. Digging in. Going to Bible school. Learning what it means to walk and how to walk. So those are two things. What are two more? What was it? Be filled with the knowledge of his love. Yes, what else? Let's back up to that one a little bit. Is it important to know how God loves us? 
filled with the knowledge of his love. Do I know what it actually takes? Do I, do I actually understand the love that God has for me? Being filled with the knowledge of his love. What's the fourth one? Which verse? Verse 10. I still didn't hear you. Say it loud. Fruitful in every good work. Okay. So fruitful in every good work. So our, there should be, back again to the fruit, right? That we should be growing in, our, in the fruits of our life. It should be evident to people the things that they see should point back to Christ. Thank you. I just, I can't hear. For some reason, it's hard to hear in here. Okay, so those are the four things. We should be filled. We should be fruitful. We should walk. We should be increasing in the knowledge. Another thing in verse 11 is, it says, strengthened with all might. Now, those first four things that you mentioned are things that we do, right? And so we study, and we have, there's fruit, and we, we open ourselves to be filled, and, and we walk. And then in verse 11, it says, strengthened with all might. And this strengthened is, um, the, the, the original word would be uh, dumas. And it's saying, be enabled, and so we should be enabled. We should be empowered. With what? It says, with all might. And the word might is dumas. And we've often heard of that. Dumas is, is a power, a miraculous power. It's not, it's not a power that I... I it's not a, a self-power or something that I can do. It's, it's being filled and enabled with a power that's from God. It is, it is the Holy Spirit that fills me and that fills us, that gives us this power. It says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And so it's, it's God's glorious power that is in my life, that, that fills me and that gives me the desire and the, and the power and the, the ability to serve Christ unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. An amazing power that's available to us as Christians, as believers. You know, this is the power that it refers to in Acts 1, verse 8, where it says, but you shall receive power, or this, this dunamis. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Another uh, reference to it is in Mark 5, where this if you remember, Jesus was in a crowd and this lady was sick. It said she had an issue of the blood and she came and she, she touched Jesus. And remember, Jesus said, hey, who touched me? He felt that dunamis, that, that power inside of him, it had, it had left. It, some of it went somewhere. And the disciples said, oh, there's so many people around here. How could you, how could you know that somebody touched you? It was that power in Jesus that he felt that she received. And the amazing thing is, 
God gives us that same power, when the Holy Spirit is in our heart, when the Holy Spirit is in our life changing us, there's a power that we can have inside of us that affects the people around us. It makes a difference. It's not something that I do. It's not a power that I, I create. But it's God working through me. It's His Spirit speaking through me, working through me, affecting people around me. A dunamis power. Let's go on to verse 12. And this begins to explain a little bit uh, the salvation and how we are saved. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins." You know, God has delivered us. It says in verse 13, he delivered us from the power of darkness. One of the things that we need to acknowledge is that we were lost. We were lost. We were in darkness. And God reached down and saved us from that darkness and brought us into, it's a, it's a changing from the power of darkness, and it says he translated us into the kingdom of his son. And so he he saved us from that, that sin that we were in, that, those grips of sin that held our life. And he changed us and brought us into fellowship with God and with his son. It's amazing, a change. But if I don't realize that I needed a savior, that I needed that change, do I really need salvation? We have to acknowledge that we were lost, that we were gripped, that we were in a we were we were held in, in Satan's grip, and we needed that dunamis power to save us, to cleanse us, and to bring us into fellowship with God. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And so that's the, the key, right? Is Christ's blood on the cross. And it says, even. So not only are we are we saved from that darkness? But then it says that that blood even forgives our sins. Washes it clean. Isn't that amazing? We're these wicked people, these people who have sin in our lives, who do have a bent towards wickedness, and God reaches down and saves us. And it's only by the power of His Son on the cross that we can have that salvation, and that we can experience a change. Even the forgiveness of our past sins, and if we fall again, He's willing to forgive us of our sins. Even the forgiveness of sins. Well, maybe we look at that and we say, well, but why is Jesus enough? Why does, why does that... Why, what validates Christ and what gives him the ability to forgive those? Let's begin to read, let's continue to read in verse 15. It says, 
who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And so this is talking about Christ and uh, solidifying why he is able and why he has the power to forgive our sins and to offer us salvation. Verse 15, it talks about he was, that he was firstborn of every, cre- of every creature. You know, God was created. He wasn't created. God was before creation. Before anything else was created, God was. He was, he's eternal. He's always been. He's not part of creation. He's not something that started right before creation and then created creation. He's always been. And that's hard to understand. But it, it, it gives validity to the fact that of his power, of his ability to even offer us salvation, the fact that he has always been. Verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. You know, creation is amazing. We look at all these, these plants and all the animals and, and the heavens and the earth and, and how everything works together. And it's an amazing thing. But you know, God was before that. Not only did he create it, but he, he's over all of that. He's in charge of it. He's the one that makes it work. He had a, he's the one that, that, that thought it up, that dreamt it, and that created it. He's all-powerful. He was. He created. And he will be forever. He knows his creation. He knows you. He knows me. Because he's created us. You know, when there's something that, when we have an item, when we have a car or an item that we own that doesn't work and we can't figure it out, where do we go to finally for some real answers? Is it the salesman? We go to the person who built it. I want to go to the manufacturer, the person that had this concept, right? And took it from a concept and developed it and made it. He knows what makes it tick. He knows what makes it run. Sometimes over the phone you can call somebody like that and they'll ask, well, what is it doing? And you say, well, you know, I started up and after so many hours it, when it gets hot it makes this, ho- this sound. And they say, oh, well, it's, it's this thing. And because they know what's inside of it. God's the same way. We're never a surprise to God. God knows exactly what we're going through. God knows the things that we face. God knows exactly how he's made us. He knows exactly how we operate. And he knows exactly how to fix our hearts and how to take care of them. And when we come to him and say, Lord, here's what's going on. Here's the feelings I have, or here are the, here's the attitude that I have. Here's, here's what I'm struggling with. And then we sit quiet. God knows exactly what to say. God knows exactly where to say, well, here's the problem. Am I open to that? Do I allow God to speak into my life as a creator of it?
Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. God was before all things, and he's still holding everything together, right? He's the one who, who created the universe. He's the one who keeps it working together. And as long as he keeps everything working, it's going to keep, it's going, to keep going. But it's when God says it's over, there is no green deal, there is no there, is no, there are no laws, there is nothing that will keep this universe and this creation running when God says it's done. Because he's in charge. Should we be good stewards of our creation? Absolutely. But God is the one in control. He's the one that keeps it, in, it running. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Don't forget, what are we looking at here? Why does Jesus, why is Jesus enough? Why is God, why does God have the power to forgive our sins? He is the head of the body, speaking of Jesus, the, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You know, Jesus is the one who started the church. And we're a part of that larger church body, but more importantly, we're even part of a, a local body, a body of believers here. And Jesus started the church. He was the beginning of it. He was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the first one who died and rose again and will live eternally. And we all expect and we hope to experience that someday, right? After our death to be raised up again and to go to heaven and to live eternally. But Jesus was the first one leading us in that, dying and, and being raised from the dead. He's the head of the church. He started the church. And it says he has the preeminence, that he might have the preeminence. He's that state of being. Um, he's enough. He's complete. He knows all things. He keeps everything running. He's in charge of everything. He's all-powerful. And because of that, he offers us salvation. It gives him the ability to offer us salvation because of sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth, or things in heaven. You know, it's the blood of the cross that, because of that blood, that blood was the atonement for our sins. It, it, it took the place, it washed away our sins. The atonement means uh, repairing an offense or injury. It, it healed that brokenness, that broken 
brokenness of relationship that between us and God because of our sin, Christ's blood was the atonement for that. And it's only because of His blood that we can be reconciled to Him. To reconcile means to restore to friendship or harmony. And so it's, this verse says it's by Him and by Him only that that can happen. It's nothing that we do in our, of ourselves. It's nothing that I can do. It's, it's nothing that I can attain to or, or that, I, that I acquire because of, of who I am. But it's only because of what Christ has done and through Him that there is atonement offered and that I can be reconciled to Christ. My relationship can be reconciled. I can, I can have that connection again because of the blood on the cross. Let's go on to verse 21. So what does so that in those those five verses, verses 15 through 20 gives us uh, the, the basis of Christ offering us salvation. Um, he, he is able, because of who He is, because of who the deity is, because of who God is, that He is able to offer us salvation. Going on to verse 21, and then it says, And you, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled. We are and we sometimes, we were and sometimes even now we fall into sin, into wickedness. But we were wicked people and it's only because of God that he reconciled us. He, he brought us back into relationship. And how did he do that? It says in verse 22, in the body of his flesh, through death, we talked about the death on the cross, right? And how the blood gave us the ability to, be, to have our sins washed away. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. It's because of Christ's death that we can experience holiness. That we can be unblameable. But that we can be unreprovable. Unreprovable is not a word that we use very often. But to reprove means to scold and to correct and to express disapproval of. Do you enjoy when somebody reproves you and they, they share something that you, you've disappointed them? I don't approve of what you're doing. We had an incident this week. We were, um, there was a project that I was helping with, and it was uh, a cement project. And for those of you who have any experience with cement, um, it's a ticking time bomb, right? And so the clock starts when it gets unloaded off the truck, and there's a certain point where whatever you did is done. And so it, it, it causes a lot of tension. <laughs> And uh, often voices get raised, and as we were, and this was a family, this was a family project, and so me and my brother-in-laws and my father-in-law, we were pouring cement, and, and uh, I had been given a one job, I was kind of off to myself working on this, on my part of the project, and uh, one of my sister-in-laws was 
standing there with her children watching. And so over the, the din of motors running and everything, all of a sudden you would hear somebody holler, Pull! Lower over here! Higher over here! And they're hollering. And, and so there's this, this tension because we're on a... Time is ticking, right? And I told my sister-in-law, I said, yeah, this is why families should never pour concrete together because I said, you never know, was your brother-in-law upset at you or did he just want to make sure that you heard what he was saying? But in the middle of all that, we were getting close to the end. And it was, it was looking like it was going to be a pretty good job. And somebody walked on the concrete. And my frustration came out, brothers. And I expressed my, I reproved, <clears throat> to state it mildly, and removed the problem off of the concrete. And I didn't do it very graciously. Reproval. The person who felt the reproval from me was crushed. And I had to go make an apology. And that's how God sees us. He sees the wickedness in our life, and there's a disconnection there that happens. But it's only through His blood, the blood on the cross, Him changing our hearts, that that reproval is removed. And that there can be connection. I had to go make things right. And I think the relationship's been restored. But there are times that I do things in my life. And my Heavenly Father shakes His head, I think. And He's, and he's disappointed. But that's not what he wants for me. He's offered a way out. He's offered a means of, of redemption through that. And I claim that. And it's only through that that I can be unreprovable, unblameable, and holy. So God did his part in having his son die on the cross. In verse 23, it says, and this is now our part, right? This is my part to play in this. It says, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And so we need to continue in the faith. We need to continue to grow. It's not a one-time experience. It's not just get your license and then you're good to go. But it's a continual learning. We need CCHs in our Christian life. We need to continue to grow. We need to, we mentioned those four things. We need to know Him, know His love. We need to walk we need to continue. It's, it's little baby steps. And some of you have continued way longer than I have. And so you are at a different place in your walk with the Lord. And I shouldn't become discouraged because I see, well, 
well, you've attained, you, you're, you're way ahead of me. I, I just don't see, I, I, there's no way. No, God, God holds me accountable for where I am today. And God pushes me and wants me to become more like him. And it's, it's, it's little steps. Youth, it's, it's, it's little decisions that we make. It's a continuing in, in our faith, learning more about him, growing. It's, it's constantly pursuing him. Verse 24 and 25, who now rejoice, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, this next part is important. And I didn't mention my, the title of the message is, Have You Experienced the Mystery? And that's what this next portion is. Have you experienced the mystery? And as I read these next couple verses, youth, I'd like for you to listen to it. And see if you can catch what the mystery is. The mystery of our Christian life. Verse 26, it says, Even the mystery, referring to this mystery, but what is it, right? Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So it was a secret. It was a mystery. It wasn't known for many ages. But now he says, now we know what it is. Now it's available, it sounds like. What is that mystery? It says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery? What is the mystery that he's talking about, youth? Christ in you. And so for ages through the Old Testament times, right, there was this, there was this continual pointing forward to something better to come, something to save, right? There was, there was somebody was, that was going to come and offer salvation. And now in the, in, as we live in the new dispensation, as we are part of the New Testament church, right? Christ came, he died on the cross, and we talked about what, what happened there to offer atonement and, and to reconcile us back to God. So now that's available. But even, even more powerful than that, right? Even more exciting than that is this mystery. This mystery that Christ living in me. How does that work? How does that work? Christ living in me, dwelling in me. Is he living in you? Is he changing you? Do you experience it? Have you given yourself to that? Have you allowed him in? Have you pursued him and welcomed him? Christ in you, 
is the mystery. In verse 27, it says, To whom God hath made known that in the riches of, the, of, this, of his glory, the riches of the, glo- of the glory of this mystery, you know, God is in no way offering us some kind of second-rate, um, less-than offering. He is offering us the best. He is offering us to come into our hearts, to come into our lives, and to dwell inside of us. We don't look forward anymore to Christ's coming, but He has, he has come and He wants to dwell in us. And he wants to have a part of our life. And it's not second rate. It's not second best. It's not that we have to um, give up something to allow him to come in. But what he gives us is the fullness and the the joy that, that we really want to experience. And that there's something inside of us that wants to have. But Satan continually deceives us and makes us think, well, you're, you're giving up something better just to have him dwell in you. And it, there's no comparison. There's no comparison when we look at the two. The mystery that he's given to us is that Christ is in us. It says, whom we preach, warning that every man warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. How do we ever come to perfection? Can we even be perfect in Christ? That looks overwhelming. And you know, we can't. There is no human way possible that I can be perfect. I'm going to make a mistake. In fact, I, made, I shared one that I made last week, right? And so, in my own flesh, there is no way I will ever live to perfection. I may as well give up now. But the secret is that mystery, okay? That mystery of Christ living inside of me, changing me, making me who He wants me to be. That there can be a change that, that, my, that I didn't want to be that person this week that, that lashed out. That's not who I want to be. That's not, that's not how I want to respond, but I did. And so I had to go back, ask for that blood, right? That atonement that was made. I had to ask to be reconciled back to God again. And that, friends, is how we are perfect. That is how we are perfect in Christ is because it's not that we don't make mistakes. It's not that we're attaining to be some kind of something up here on a pedestal, but it's a continuing a continual living our life, seeking Christ, wanting to be more like Him, allowing Him to change who we are. Only He can do it. It's only by His blood and the work on the cross that, that enables us to be perfect in Christ. Do we still make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a way to be redeemed. There's a way to be reconciled back. Perfect in Christ. Perfection is only possible in Jesus Christ, working and continually changing me. You know, it's not what I do to change, 
it's not what I do to change, but what I allowed God to change in me. It's not what I do to change, but what I allow God to change in me. Paul finishes off this chapter. He says, whereunto I also labor. Now, this was the Apostle Paul. And we look at him and we say, well, yeah, he had it all together. Look at all these, all these scriptures that he wrote and he's encouraging us. He had it all together. He probably didn't struggle. Listen to what he says. Whereunto I, I also labor, he says, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. It's that dunamis power again. It's Paul saying it's because I have that power, because I have the Holy Spirit living in me, because I'm filled that I strive and that I, that I work towards that end goal of being perfect in Christ. It's because God is in me. His Spirit is working through me. And brothers and sisters, we can have that same thing. We can have that filling. We can have the Holy Spirit working in us if we allow Him to. If we allow Him to. And it's an exciting experience. It's not second rate. It's not second best. Have you discovered that mystery? Have you experienced it? Christ in you. Are you allowing God to live in every part of your life? Has he filled you? Is he making a difference? Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for your plan. Lord, thank you that it is a complete plan. And, and thank you for the atonement that was made on the, on the cross and the shedding of Christ's blood and how, it, how we can be reconciled because of that. And Lord, thank you that, that we can experience um, this power in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, this this filling of your spirit. And Lord, it, it can change who I am. Lord, I pray that we would um, live in this power and that we would allow Christ's power to work through us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow and to reach out to others and show them your love and the power um, that you give to us and that you want to work through us, that others would, would see your power through the way that we live our lives, that it would be a, an amazing power, Lord, a power that is a compelling power that is only from you and your spirit, and that they would be turned to you because of that. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.